It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to the last PowerMizzou.com podcast. Before we actually have things to talk about, Missouri opens fall camp on Friday morning at 930. We certainly will uh, we'll be all over that day by day and talk about that on the podcast, but we are going to start before we get to some Mizzou stuff and the national college football story of the day. If you don't know what that is, I'm not sure why you're listening to this podcast, but we'll talk about it later. We are going to start continuing our opponent previews for the 2018 season. We are on to the Kentucky Wildcats. We're going to bring in Justin Rowland, who covers Kentucky for the Rivals.com network. Justin, how you doing, man? Good. Thanks for bringing me on again, guys. Yeah, appreciate you uh, taking some time. Does uh, when's Kentucky get going with camp? This week, right now, they're they're getting underway. We've got media day tomorrow. We've got three of us are going to be there covering that interview, and pretty much everybody on the team. And then fan day on Saturday, so they're they're kicking up into high gear, and, and they won't look back until the start of the season. Okay, so this season, I, let me let me ask the I guess difficult question first. Is Mark Stoops in any way coaching for his job this year in Lexington? You know, this this question comes up a lot, and I don't really know how to answer it. I can say that, like, probably 90% of college football coaches are, like, one disastrous season away from being on the hot seat or being gone. And so I, I don't want to say that he's, he's not, you know, in a really important season right now, but he's been to back-to-back bowl games. He will survive a season in which they, they, if they don't reach a bowl game, he'll survive. But if they don't reach a bowl game, he'll probably be coaching for his job next year. So he, he's one season away from, from being on the hot seat, but I th- I'd say he's in pretty good graces right now. Justin Mitchell Forty here. Uh, you know, Obviously kind of the, the star of Kentucky's offense or the biggest name coming back is uh, running back ba- Benny Snell. Um, you know, I know they, they uh, have – are replacing uh, Steven Johnson at, at quarterback. Do they have you know much firepower on, on the offensive side of the ball uh, aside from Benny Snell? That's a big question mark. Like they they were really explosive two seasons ago because they had Boom Williams to complement Benny Snell, um, but last year they were like a grounded out, um, grinded out. Just I think they played at one of the slowest tempos in the country, and that was just kind of their formula for winning. They weren't very explosive. The passing game hasn't been very explosive in pretty much seven or eight years, um, they have the potential to be more explosive because they've got better depth um, and more explosive options behind Snell at running back. I think some of the sophomore receivers, Lynn Bowden, Isaiah Epps, Josh Ali, potentially could improve the vertical passing game. If Terry Wilson wins the starting quarterback job, he will probably be more explosive. Um, He's an electrifying Athlete's been a year at Oregon before going to junior college. Very much a dual threat guy. Very good runner. Um, but you know, I don't know how the quarterback race is going to shake out. Gunnar Hoke is kind of the steady of the ship, pocket passer type. Um, I would say Wilson is probably their best bet to have a more explosive offense. I, I'm not sure it's fair to call Benny Snell under the radar because I do think national people know about him, and and people that follow college football know about him. I'm not sure how many casual fans know the name Benny Snell. They should. I said in my season preview, I think he might be the single best offensive player Missouri faces this year. I mean, just how good is this kid? I think in terms of his like publicity and name recognition, getting kicked out of the Music City Bowl against Northwestern was probably the best thing. That could have <laughs> like that's why a lot of people know about him now. But he's fantastic. Like he's the best running back in the history of the program. He's going to shatter. 
a lot of program records this season, and I'm I'm pretty confident he's leaving for the NFL after this year, which is his junior season. Um, he's a lot faster than people thought he was in in high school. He's not an all-purpose guy. He's not a speed guy, but he he's better at getting into the secondary and wreaking havoc than people thought he was. And he's he's the best player in the SEC, like pro football focus. These college analytic groups show that he like broke 44 tackles last season, which is far and away the best in the SEC. So, I mean, I've never seen a player with as much of a chip on his shoulder every single time he carries the ball. He's always reminding me, reminding us, that we had him ranked as a three-star, and I'm like, I didn't have anything to do with it. And <laughs> apparently it's still driving him three years later. So, so he's a pretty incredible player to watch. By the time he's a five-year NFL veteran, that will be down to a two-star, and he'll be making claims <laughs> like Ed Reed. So. That's right. That's right. It's like it, it, he should be thanking rivals and every other network that had him yep. as a three-star because it's carried him a long way. Justin, I know that you know one of the big storylines that, that kind of follows Kentucky year in and year out is the uh, the losing streak they have to Florida. I know it's somewhere up around 30, 30 consecutive meetings now. Um, you know that game falls early in the schedule for Kentucky. How much do you think a win against Florida, winning that game, could could potentially you know energize that team and that fan base and impact the rest of the season? They can only go so far in terms of their perception as a program with that streak hanging around their neck. Like mm-hmm. it, it defies logic. It defies <laughs> odds that that would happen. Like even Vanderbilt has beaten Florida a few times um, during that span of time. Like it just doesn't make any sense that like you know Florida had a game they threw seven interceptions and they still managed to beat Kentucky. Wow. Like Kentucky was beating Florida twenty-one to three when Lorenzen was quarterback in the fourth quarter and they still managed to like it defies common sense that it that it happens and it's just such it's such a stumbling block with recruits in terms of I mean every time they lose to Florida now it, it, it the fan base gets so negative and so pessimistic it doesn't matter what they do the rest of the year it's they did it again like last year against Florida they lost because not once but twice they didn't cover receivers like lined up at the line of scrimmage they weren't covering the receivers and it, it becomes this negative self-fulfilling prophecy that you know, Gabe, as a Royals fan until a couple of years ago, could probably <laughs> relate to in a, in a big way. Well, so. a bunch a bunch of teams in the Big Eight and Big Twelve had those kind of losing streaks against Nebraska. Missouri lost twenty five in a row, and they beat them in two thousand three. And I, I think they could have lost every other game that year, and the fans wouldn't have cared. It, it was like, hey, we finally beat Nebraska. Everything else this year does not matter. Uh, yeah. And Kentucky's now seven years beyond the 25 in a row. So, yeah. And I, I would caution anybody who thinks that beating Florida would change everything. Like, Kentucky had an almost identical losing streak to Tennessee that they snapped in 2010. And it was the most anticlimactic moment ever because the rest of that season was terrible. And it, it's a consolation prize breaking a streak like that. But it's something that they have to do to take a step forward as a program. They have to get beyond that streak because it has come to define them outside of Lexington. Well, that game is in week two, and I think what defines Kentucky the last few years for me is they're like on the edge of the top 25 halfway through the season. Like they're they're four and two, five and one, playing really well. And then all of a sudden it gets to about Halloween and, and they can't win a game. I, I looked at their schedule this year. I would be I think Kentucky and Missouri have the two most challenging like starts to SEC play. Missouri's first three SEC games are Georgia at home at South Carolina at Alabama. Kentucky's are at Florida, home against Mississippi State, home against South Carolina, and at A&M. I mean, 
I, there is a realistic possibility, and, and I don't even think it's a stretch, to say when Vanderbilt comes to Kentucky on October 20th, Kentucky's going to be 0-4 in the SEC. I mean, it, that is a really brutal stretch to start. Yeah, I mean, I think the best-case scenario, the best realistic-case scenario is 2-2. Two and two. I mean, people forget that they've beaten South Carolina four years in a row. I think they match up really well with South Carolina, and they've been able to run the ball against them. And I think if you're an optimist, you can say Texas A&M has been susceptible to, to physical teams that play the game at the tempo they want to play at. But I think they match up better against South Carolina and A&M than they do against Florida and Mississippi State. One thing I will say is, Mississippi State is their common opponent every year in the West. I think Dan Mullen moving to Florida makes that Florida game much tougher to win, but in the long run is going to be better for Kentucky because Mississippi State, I think most people would say in the long run, will not be as good without Mullen. But, yeah, that's a brutal start first month of the, uh, the SEC schedule. Justin, we talked a little bit about the you know Kentucky offense and Benny Snell. Uh, what what kind of do they bring back on the defensive side of the ball? Is this a team that you know is is gonna kind of you know try to control the uh, the tempo, try to keep uh, opponents uh, off the field and and win with its defense, or uh, is is that kind of a you know concern entering the season? I mean, Mark Stoops is very conservative by nature. He he played at Iowa, and when you think about Iowa football, I think that's probably (laughs) the kind of football he wants to play at Kentucky. Just put the defense in good spots and let the game hinge on a couple of kicks one way or the other. I think that's always who he's going to be. But he, I mean, Kentucky's got one of the most experienced defenses in the country. They're going to start five seniors in the secondary who have basically been starting since they got to Kentucky. They return, you know, Josh Allen, who a lot of people are projecting as a first-round pick at linebacker, their best defensive prospect since Bud Dupree, who, who was drafted by the Steelers a few years back. They did have a couple of unexpected losses at linebacker. Denzel Ware and Eli Brown were basically starting caliber players who unexpectedly wanted to be closer to home, transferred to Jacksonville State and Western Kentucky, of all places. And uh, normally you don't see guys making those moves downward, but that was that was they want to be closer to home. The defensive line returns pretty much everybody in the two deep. But, you know, I've expected the defense to improve for a few years now. Last year it ranked in the 90s. I'm going to temper expectations, but there's no reason that the defense shouldn't step forward. Like, if they don't improve a lot from, like, the 90s to at least the 40s or the 50s nationally, Stoops will have some questions to answer for sure. Justin, what's a what's a fair expectation for this Kentucky team? I mean, when I'm looking at the schedule, they're going to have to win either at Missouri or at Tennessee, I think, to to make a bowl game and and maybe win at Louisville as well. I mean, what's a fair expectation for this team? I mean, the last four years they've been in the five and seven to seven and five range, and I think that's where they are again. Like last year, the reason they were seven and five instead of five and seven was they had the best special teams unit that Kentucky has had in a really long time, and they lose their starting kicker, the best kicker in program history. They lose their starting punter. They lose their punt return man. They lose a bunch of stars on special teams who are like unsung heroes. Like I would say, they're probably not most likely to go seven and five again they're in that five and seven to seven and five range and some things would have to go right for them to be on the on the right side of 500 probably justin we we talked a little bit earlier about uh mark stoops and you know kind of the the expectation for him entering this season as you said they've they've kind of been right around hovering around that that 500 mark each of the last several years is that you know if he's you you said 
a disastrous season, obviously, would, would probably put him on the hot seat. If, if he stays in that range, and especially if he keeps making bowl games, you know, going like 6-6, six and six, is that uh, is that a guy that Kentucky football can fire, or is that just good enough to, to you know, keep your job for, for so long at, at a school like Kentucky? Here's some, some football diehards that are going to hate me for saying this if they hear it, but if Calipari wins the program's ninth national championship this year, people are going to kind of forget about the football season. <laughs> yeah, And I exactly. think there is some truth to that. Um, I think I, I don't think over the long haul Kentucky fires a football coach that goes to like a bowl game, say, every other season. Um, there are so many fans out there that are just waiting for the program to have one of those Gary Pinkle breakthrough seasons when they win the East. And I think the way that Kirby Smart is just hoarding talent at Georgia, the likelihood of that happening at Kentucky anytime soon is like slim to nil. Um, so as long as Stoops doesn't like oversee a couple of like two, three, four win seasons back to back, he's probably okay. The question is whether eventually he tries to use Kentucky as a springboard to a job that he feels like is maybe um, more more realistic place to succeed long term, and that's always going to be a question for Kentucky football. I will back you up, Justin. Fans hate it when you try to make them accept what their program is versus what they want it to be. Um, that right. that doesn't generally go over very well, I've noticed. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But, I mean, I, I think people understand, and I have enough credibility with, with Kentucky fans, that when I say that, most of them will begrudgingly accept that. You know, 7-5, and five, that's, I'm not saying that's the best that they can do, but history tells us they can do, they can and most coaches would do a lot worse. So you, you've got to keep that in mind. So you mentioned Calipari, and I want to flip over to that just for a minute. Tell me if I'm correct. Earlier this week when DJ Jeffries decommitted, that's the first decommitment Calipari's had at Kentucky? Yep, the first one. So, wow. you know, and then there was the drama. DJ Jeffries' father said that Kentucky's coaches handle it unprofessionally, and that's that's one side of the story. But my, my suspicion was they, they just recruited over him, and they weren't too too sad to see him go. But when he came out and said that, it's like, well, whoa, maybe they were they were very sensitive to the perception that Penny Hardaway has come in and kind of become a rival right off the bat, recruiting wise. Yeah, and I did see I did see a quote from Calipari. Yes, I think it was yesterday where he said he didn't want to talk about recruiting, and then took a not so veiled shot at DJ Jeffries, which I thought was a little bit, I guess, for lack of a better term, maybe a little bit beneath the office. Uh, I don't think John Calipari really needs to worry about a kid who decommits and and take a shot at him publicly. Yeah, Cal has mellowed a little bit at Kentucky since he's become. I think he wanted to be mainstreamed and accepted more by kind of the college basketball establishment, and that has mellowed him a little bit at Kentucky, but he still has a larger-than-life ego. And so when, whenever the topics of Coach K's recruiting or Penny, Penny Hardaway's upstart recruiting come up, he falls back on these kind of passive-aggressive <laughs> comments like, well, this place isn't for everybody. Right. And that kind of covers his bases. Like anytime he loses a kid, when he says this place isn't for everybody, that explains why he didn't get this guy. Kentucky was too big of a stage for him. He wasn't ready for it. I think it's beneath the office, too, but, you know, most successful coaches at the highest level have those those larger-than-life egos, and that just kind of comes with it. Yeah, no question. Uh, we're, we are possibly about to see the downfall of one of them in college football due to egos. So. 
That's right. Yeah, that's the big story of the day. And, you know, Ohio State's a huge topic for Kentucky fans because half of Kentucky's football roster is from Ohio. And the question, if they get somebody else who makes Ohio like more of a priority, that's going to make Kentucky's recruiting kind of blueprint for football a lot harder. So Urban Meyer has actually been very good for Kentucky football because they've recruited more regionally and nationally than, as opposed to in Ohio. Um, if they make Ohio kind of their bread and butter in the future, Kentucky's going to have to go somewhere else for talent. All right, well, Justin, appreciate you taking the time, man, and we will uh, talk to you a couple months down the road when uh, Kentucky eventually makes its way to Columbia. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. All right, have Thanks, a good Justin. One. Yep. Justin Rowland covers Kentucky for the Rivals.com network. And uh, all right, so let's just let's just transition right into what we ended talking about there. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, this Urban Meyer thing. Holy yeah. cow, man! I mean, I when the when the headlines first came out yesterday morning, I thought. Like, I read Brett McMurphy's tweet. I didn't read the actual story, and I'm like, oh, this looks bad for Urban. And, and I got a call from from somebody else, one of our colleagues in the network. He said, I think Urban's going to get fired. And I thought, why? And he said, go read the story. And there's a there's a decent chance of that at this point. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, you know, Brett McMurphy got his hands on a lot of uh... – you know, text messages and, and photos that, that show that, you know, basically th- this was not even a one or two incident thing. It was a pattern and that, I mean, Urban Meyer's wife knew. So it's very unlikely to say that he didn't know. And, uh, you know, then we found out there's a clause in his contract that explicitly states that he has to uh, make any sort of, uh, you know, accusations or rubblings of, of these types of things available to the Title IX office. So, uh, I mean, you know, you, you never want to say like, for sure it could happen because like you know sean miller everyone thought he was gone in basketball like a lot of successful coaches have gotten out of sticky situations but i would be very surprised if he's still coaching the team at week one well to me well i don't think he'll coach the team week one like that doesn't mean i could see maybe a, a decent suspension and maybe he gets through it but tell me if this is too simplistic i think this is going to come down to does Urban Meyer want to save his job or save his marriage? Yeah. Because I really see the only way he gets out of this is if Urban and his wife say, yeah, my wife knew and she never told me. Like, is she going to fall on that sword for him? I, I don't see that happening. I mean, I, the, it's kind of ironic also that, like, Urban Meyer has talked publicly a lot of times about his yes. wife being, like, involved with his staff. And it's it, just it's just kind of crazy how it, these pieces all fell together from, you know, different interviews he's done and whatnot. But, like, I don't know. I guess that's possible. And, you know, I think the like you said, the only way he, he keeps his job is if the staff says, you know, that's your story. Your, your wife really didn't tell you. Okay, like, it better not change. Right. That, that better be your story from here until the time you're done coaching here. So, I, but I don't, I just, like, I can't imagine that happening. I'm also not Urban Meyer. I can't imagine right. being in this situation, but I cannot fathom, a, a, like, doing that. You're right. And, well, and to me, it's most similar to Rick Pitino. Um, okay, if you want to go with the I didn't know defense, I guess you can, but, like, you know everything. Yeah. It is your job to know. So if and it worked if, for if him you once, didn't but when know, he went with it twice, that's when it right. really. Yeah. I mean, if you knew, you have to be fired. If you didn't know, I think you should be fired for not knowing. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, and this is like, I don't want to come off as the moral superiority because you know God knows I probably am not the. I'm, I'm like probably top 10, but maybe not the best person, you know? Um, so, but it's well down the road of things you should care about. But like, 
man, this really shakes up the college football landscape. Like when, when a couple years ago, when Mac Brown left, when Texas comes open, that changes everything. When the Ohio State job comes open, the butterfly effect throughout college football is insane. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there, there's been a lot of, of candidates brought up about about potential replacements, and some like you know, if if for some reason Bob Stoops comes, in, that that that, that is create, where it starts. For that, me. Yeah, that like you know that maybe wouldn't create as big of a butterfly effect because right. he obviously doesn't have a job right now. But say they hired, you know, someone from, you know, a, a smaller Matt, power Matt five Campbell school like Matt Campbell. Name. Yeah. That, I mean, you know, more, it's, I mean, just guys shift around and, you know, you, you'd end up with, like, I mean, even last off season, we had just all, all the coaching, uh, coaching search right. ritual effects with Jimbo Fisher and all that. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I I'm going on the record with my prediction that he'll be fired before the season opener, but yeah, I uh, I think he should be. We'll see. Matt, okay, so w- last thing on this, then we'll move on to Missouri stuff. Matt Campbell, I mean, that seems to be the popular name. Even Ohio State fans, I've seen some of them that like that name. I, I understand he did well at Toledo. He had a good year at Iowa State. Matt Campbell has never coached his own players. Is Matt Campbell really ready for the Ohio State job? Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe. Like, you know, he— he uh, he would certainly be stepping into a, a situation with a ton of talent, kind of as oh, you know yeah. he has uh, in the past. Or, I mean, not a ton of talent at Iowa State, but like you said, guys that he didn't necessarily recruit. Um, I I mean, like I can't pretend to be an expert on Matt Campbell's coaching career. <laughs> right. I, I'll I'll be honest, I did not watch much <laughs> Iowa State football last year. Um, I know they were good. I watched them beat like TCU at one point, but like I don't know. I mean. You know, guys, teams are always looking for the young up and coming guy and, you know, a guy who could potentially be there a long time. So maybe that's an appealing aspect. I would think. But the thing is, Ohio State doesn't have to do that. Right. They can they can can pay almost anybody. They can pay someone else who's more established enough money to come there. Here's the list of coaches Ohio State cannot hire. Um, Nick Saban. Mm hmm. Is, yeah. is that I mean, I would be, like, maybe surprised not. If, they can't like, hire Jim Harbaugh, but not yeah. because he's too good for him. Right. Um, I would be surprised if they hire like Kirby Franklin. Kirby Smart. That would be yeah. That would be I mean just the a weird is, move, but like yeah. the point is there aren't many. Yes, exactly. And for a program that could hire almost anybody, that, like legitimately for a program that I think could go to the NFL mm-hmm. and maybe hire a coach who's kind of on thin ice in the NFL, Matt Campbell just seems to me like. I don't know. Maybe it'll work, but yeah, that seems weird. Yeah, uh, we'll see. I think the youth is definitely a factor. I don't know. Yeah. More intriguing, but all right. So let's move on. Mizzou does open fall camp tomorrow. I put out my prediction this morning. Um, I went game by game, eight and four. Was immediately met with, you know, that's <laughs> that's a good prediction, but it's not hot takey enough. Um, I, but I, I look at this schedule and like there are games that. It, to me, if you lose any of the following games, to me it means they're finding a new coach at the end of the year. UT Martin, Wyoming, Memphis. You lose any of those three games, I don't see how Barry Odom's good enough to be here next year. I, I could see them stumbling against Memphis and then, you know, flipping it with like a you know surprise win at South Carolina against Georgia. I mean, that's not likely. That's I, Obviously, that's not the most likely path to 8-4. Uh, and four, But if that happens, he's certainly not getting fired just because, you know, it, I mean – you can lo- basically what I'm saying is you you can lose to Memphis and still go seven and five and and he's probably not getting fired for that. However, you can, but I think it's tough. Yeah, it's probably unlikely. Um, one thing that that I've kind of been saying this off season is like, you know, I I think I agreed with most of your picks. I I see them going probably either seven and five or eight and four. But when I say seven and five, I see them being a lot better than last year's team and still potentially having the same record. I mean, like the the schedule is harder. 
what I mean, one because of Alabama, and you get that in there. But two, mainly because you're not going to be playing. You're never going to have the perfect storm they had last year of playing like four lame duck or recently fired head coaches in a row. And you get South Carolina, Tennessee, and Florida on the road. Like if the Tennessee or Florida games on the road last year, I'm not a hundred percent sure Missouri wins. Them. Right. You know that that helped. Um. So. I picked them to lose to Georgia, South Carolina, Florida, and Alabama. Mm-hmm. So if you say seven and five, what's the most likely fifth loss? I've been re- I've been wrestling with this because mainly I, I saw your prediction this morning and didn't want to be the same because I figured I'd right. talk about this today. I, I I'm gonna go ahead and say maybe Purdue is most likely, although I really do think like when you look at the specifics of that matchup, Purdue's probably going to take a step back, and Missouri's obviously going to have a lot of motivation. But, I mean, that's like the next best road team on their schedule, so it, it makes the most sense to pick as a loss. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely think – I mean, like, you know, you see all the time these teams getting – you play an SEC schedule and you, you slip up and lose one against, like, a Kentucky or a Vandy. Um, that wouldn't shock me. Kentucky would be probably more likely a loss than Vandy. But I don't know. I, I – I think your your eight and four prediction and how you broke it down makes a ton of sense, but I don't want to be the same, so I'm going right. to say they lose to Purdue and go seven and five. Here's why, and and I can see losing to Purdue and getting to seven and five. Here, here's why I've said all off season, like you can lose to Purdue and still go eight and four. And mm-hmm. then when I looked at it actually game by game, the way it works out, here's why I don't think you can, because if you lose that Purdue game, your next three yeah. are Georgia at home, at South Carolina, at Alabama, like. If you lose to Purdue, you're probably two and four. Yeah. And can he, for a second straight season, pull a team out of the abyss to win six straight games in the second half of the year? I don't know, man. That seems pretty tough. I don't right. think you want to be there. I, so I think, I think for Missouri to get to eight and four, which I think is universally viewed as that's clear progress. Yes. We're all happy with that. To get there, they've got to be. At at the end of the first half of the season, they've got to be three and three, mm-hmm. minimum three and three. Whether that, whether that means, I mean, that means out of Purdue, South Carolina, Georgia, and Alabama, you have to win one. Now, if you want to have a season that's like eight and four is a good year, but it's not memorable. If you want to have a memorable season, I think you've got to go two and two in those four. Right, right, yeah. I mean, like, like you've said many times, you know. It, also, the thing about the Purdue game is, uh, it's. When, if Missouri's going to enter the second half of its season two and four, you're going to have just the fan support's not going to be probably tremendous, and I think no, that's it, definitely it's be bad. yeah. I think that's definitely a factor when yes. when you're looking at you know keeping a coach. It's not just wins and losses, putting people in the seats. So that that's another another reason why that is a big game. And you know, like you said, some people want to make it out to be the Super Bowl of the season. It's not. Um, you know they. They can still Boy, it's big. do big things, but it's it's huge as far as just support because you don't expect to win, you know, at South Carolina, Alabama, or versus Georgia. So you know, avoiding it, avoiding basically another turnaround, save his job situation is you know, important. I think if you lose at Purdue, you absolutely have to, for all those reasons you just said, turn it around by either beating Georgia or winning at South Carolina. Because right. if you go into Tuscaloosa, Alabama, on a three-game losing streak, like explicit lyrics warning coming up. Our message board is going to be a shit show if they're oh, yeah. two and four after that Alabama game. Yeah, absolutely. So we're rooting for not that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we root for purely out of our own self-interest and whatever takes the least moderation. And two and four would, uh, yeah. boy, that would take a lot of message board moderation. Yeah. So I, I feel like we've previewed and you've previewed so many things about fall camp, like. I, we can't do it anymore. It needs to start. Yeah, it needs to start, absolutely. And, you know, you've said before, like, 
don't expect like you know take everything here with a great assault it's not we're not going to get all the answers yet we're not i'm not going to you know we're not going to know what Derek Dooley's new offense looks like in the next week um but at least we will uh we'll be able to see players with our own eyes and talk to them in person and yes bring you the the news so it's exciting so- I want to wrap up with this just because I don't want to be accused of like being a homer and ignoring it. And we'll talk about it for a second. I don't know. I guess maybe Drew Locke's going to be asked about his tweets tomorrow. It won't be for me. Like I, I read that yesterday and I just, I'm having a hard time working up any outrage over what I saw. Sure. I mean, you know, what was the things he said? I, I could see how they would upset people for sure. Insensitive, um, maybe. Definitely. I mean, he was like 13. Yeah, 13 And or I think a lot of people say dumb things when they're 13 so that may or may not even know what those words mean. I don't know. Right. I'm not trying to make excuses for him, but that seems likely. Um, it, it's a big, like, I can understand uh, people getting upset with, like, the things Josh Hader tweeted. That's right. completely different. They were much more explicit and tweeted at a later age. Um, but at a certain point, I mean, it's just, it, it feels like we're, we're just trending towards people trying to, you know, play gotcha and, and go through old Twitter feeds. And, and it's important that, that people do learn this, this lesson that, you know, you can't, that what you tweet has repercussions. But at the same time, I mean, it, the kid was 13. I, I feel like in what we do, you and I have a lot of free time on any given day, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of time just kind of hang out and do things. What, what would it take for you to spend that free time Going through seven years of someone's tweets. I, I guess I would have to be paid handsomely. <laughs> a lot of money. Yeah. It, like somebody would, yes, have to pay me a month's salary and say, I want you to go through seven, seven years of tweets. I, yeah. It is like, it's like borderline psychological disorder what this has turned into. Right, right. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I have no, no more thoughts on it than that, really. <laughs> All right, so we end the podcast with a bang there. We've run out of things to say, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's always the goal. All right, so 9.30 um, Friday morning, we will be at football practice. We will talk to people. We will take pictures, all that. We will probably come out of tomorrow's practice with, like, a definitive answer whether my 8-4 and four prediction was right. We'll <laughs> yeah, know for absolutely. Sure. So, uh, all right, podcast will be here every week, fall camp in full swing. It really is, like, we joke. It's it. I've always said that. August is the month that makes a subscription to our site worthwhile because we are going to cover every single aspect of the next month. We're going to talk to every person we can. You're going to go into the season opener against UT Martin, hopefully with a lot more knowledge about this team than all the rest of the people who foolishly uh, do not subscribe to our site. So there's my sales pitch. We'll be back next Thursday.